Disclaimer. The following podcast contains explicit language and adult content. The content may offend some listeners. Relax and don't be a hater. Hello. Welcome to a walk in the park podcast. (laughs) This is Riss. And this is Babs. And in our podcast, we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of wine, cake, laughter, friendship, success, families, fun, the extraordinary. We're happy you're listening. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> I love it. Let's just get this walk started, baby. Woo-woo. I want to trade something with you. If I want to sell. 
sell something to you and it is not just me giving you an asset, but like it has other logic that goes with it, like which is like an option, like a, um, an option that we have on various stock markets. Those, the, the rules of the more complex uh, transaction are there, there are rules about it. Like there's rules about when it gets executed and what its value is depending on maybe the, some other value of some other asset. So is it and, called a smart contract because the functionality of it is? Because the rules are changing. The rule, no, the rules are, are Baked, the rules are set, and in this case, they're captured in code, in computer software code, and the, the contract is represented in that software code. The contract being the rules that exist between uh, the, the rules that some user or set of users are going to now rely on. All right, you've used the concept of stocks, stock options, the stock market. So is a smart contract basically replacing like people running pieces of paper on the floor of the stock exchange and saying, do this, do this, or in more recent history, you sit in front of a computer and you kind of have to put in your, if it hits this, sell, if it hits that, buy. So, yes. Yes. So, um, well, take the case of an option. Uh, an option is a human-created uh, financial concept. Yeah, that says I will, I will pay you a certain amount today. So that at some date in the future, you agree to do something for me if certain market conditions exist. And by do something for me, I mean that I could buy, you might be willing to sell me an option that says if the price of some stock drops below, you know, some value that you will sell to me the stock at that value. It's, it's basically almost like it can be like an insurance mechanism or a speculative investment where I might pay you a dollar today so that if Amazon, if the stock price of Amazon drops more than 20% in the next two months, that you will, you're basically saying, well, for a dollar today, I'll be willing to sell you Amazon stock 20% less than today's price, even if Amazon stock has dropped further than that. Okay, you're getting way into the weeds now, I think, away from well, what we want to understand about sorry, so, technology. So, what I was trying to say... Other examples? No, no, well... No, no. Well, what I want to say is the agreement, the agreement of options 
is a human agreement today. It's, it's used throughout financial services, but it's based on a contract. Sure. It's based on a contract that is expressed in legal contracts today that if I make that deal with you, there's a contract that was driven up, that was created by lawyers, written in the English language or some other language that says, I'm making this agreement with you. I'm going to give you a dollar today and we're agreeing, we're, we're making this okay, agreement. I don't care about the terms of the agreement anymore. That's right. I, that's right. Yeah. No, I don't think you understand what I'm saying. I don't want to get bogged down in this financial thing. So I just want to say a lawyer drafts a contract. Like I sit in front of my computer, I draft an agreement. That's right. Then where does that agreement, how does that physical agreement that I've written on my computer become a smart contract? Well, what I was trying to say is certain things that like an option that are represented. How do they get put on the blockchain? That are represented by legal agreements today can instead be turned into software code that enforces those exact terms, and now the software code can be used rather than a legal contract and can be run on the blockchain. Okay, perfect. That's where we get to. Okay, so, yeah, sorry, I want to put a pin in that because, again, I think, I mean, if there's more to say there, but I think for our listeners, you're getting very bogged down in finance. And I'm more curious about, I've heard the blockchain can be used to store things like medical records. Yeah, that, that's kind of a whole different topic that doesn't necessarily require smart contracts. Right. So, so the first thing is, if we're talking about what is a smart contract, it's the representation of specific terms that can be used in trades between people and now we put it in software code. And then my company, now you might have somebody audit these smart contracts to make sure they really do what they're representing to do accurately. And that's, so that's a whole area where we have the possibility that we could take a lot of what's done in finance today by legal, documents, and we could turn it instead into automated software. Gotcha. Okay. We're definitely going to talk more about that in part three, but you just said something. Well, you asked about medical records. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know that's not where I'm going. So, um, the difference between, let's say, a smart contract and a, an example of a contract that you're like, well, no, we wouldn't turn that into software code because not complex. So, for example, you know, as an attorney, sometimes I do assignment agreements, right? And it's like, okay, party A, you're assigning this to party B, and they sign it, I file it, the USPTO reports it, and then that transaction is done. So, that's an example of a legal document that just kind of has one set thing the agreement does, and therefore you would put this on the blockchain because there isn't anything ongoing. Well, there's not any if-then scenarios here. It's just a one-and-done. 
you or what I'd say is this, you could put it on the blockchain, but it's not clear why you would put it on the blockchain. Okay. So if you think like the USPTO presumably could or maybe has much of that could be automated today by the USPTO, right? Like they could they could have a system where I go to my computer, I click three buttons, I do something that represents a digital signature, and maybe I could do the assignment just through that computer system where the USPTO has already set it up, and maybe no lawyer has to be involved. Right. Right. That could happen. If it, and maybe some of it's already done. Lawyers would fight that. But but that could be done. Um, the thing is, then that would be the USPTO system, right? That, and then now sure. it's just useful to USPTO. Sure. So where, where the blockchain might be useful is if I wanted to have a completely international assignment system that is not controlled by any single country. And then you might say, well, let's use a public blockchain, which is a public system, a public ledger for that same thing. Right. And you could do that. You absolutely could do that. And then, and then, yes, you might have a smart contract that is the code representation of assignment. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very interesting. We're going to do part two there. said that it's a representation in computer software code of some set of rules that we want to have occur when people are interacting with each other, or, you know, which includes, by the way, like the concepts of trading, depositing, storing, and retrieving, and then there's a set of rules, and that's, we call it a contract but it's really software code. And that's where it gets confusing for me because the lawyers still draft what I consider a contract, but when you look at it from the software side, you're looking at yeah. computer code. Well, I think, you know, the interesting thing is, like, law, legal agreements are very... Um, legal agreements have many rules. I mean, it's very... Do you, do you think about it like a set of rules when you're writing a contract? It's kind of a set of, you know, step, like there's parts to the legal agreement and there's well, kind of like rules in there. how complicated it is, but yeah. and if something is 
ongoing. I mean, this is kind of where I do feel like there is a disconnect between my legal brain and your software brain where, no, usually you write a legal agreement and maybe there are certain steps that have to be executed, but it's not not something that should ever be vague or contingent or... Yeah. Um, yeah, so it... But, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like, sometimes it has to be complex, but I just can't... Well, if you think about... If you think about some of the things we do, and this is why a lot of it is started with financial stuff, right. is that the, the limits of these smart contracts, they are limited. Like, okay. There's a lot of stuff in the legal world that we couldn't translate because it involves, it involves too much stuff. Yes. Too many people, somebody's yes. got to... But there are some things that we do legal agreements around today and some of them are these like financial agreements right. Right. where we can bake the rules into code and as, I, as we talked about in part one, part of the thing we're doing here is digitizing right. things and trying to... Now now with smart contracts, we're taking some of the legal stuff and starting to put it into code. Right. And um, But some of it is complicated, and um, there are complicated rules, and when somebody creates a smart contract, they're basically... they're basically representing two humans that the smart contract is going to do something for them, right? That sure. it's going to it's going to have these set of rules. But most of the users, who the humans who would use that, they don't understand. They don't have the time to understand, and many of them wouldn't have the ability to understand these this software code. Of course, of course, of course. exactly. Right. So, all right. So, so that's, that's where auditors. Come I was going to say. So that's yeah. a good segue to yeah. auditing. So why don't you explain? Yeah. And and of course the other thing is is that when I think a lot of people have heard about all these hacks, right? All this people who have heard about cryptocurrency may have also heard about oh some cryptocurrency got hacked. Right. Or somebody stole a lot of money. Right. And that not only goes to the logic of these smart contracts, do they actually work the way somebody says they're going to work, do they do what they say, but also, are they secure? Are there ways that they could be hacked where somebody could steal the value that might be being transferred or held in a smart contract? And so auditors, what auditors do, such as my company, is we have experts who are trained and who continually study the state of the art of smart contracts. And, and when hired, the auditors review the smart contract and produce a public report having to do with the security and accuracy of the smart contract. So now a user can say, if I'm going to use this smart contract, I can look at the auditor report that tells me this thing is safe and secure. And while while I might be simplifying many of the... What I would say is that there are, there are, high, there are 
respected and well-known auditors mm-hmm. who, if, if you interact with a smart contact contract that's been reviewed by a well-known auditor, you're taking them, you're basically not taking the big risk. Most of the, most of the issues uh, that have happened, that people have heard about, have happened with smart contracts that were not audited by reputable people. All right, well, let me ask you this. Yep. Where in the process would one have their smart contract audited come to you? It seems like before you enter into it. Before, before you launch it. Okay. So when you, you, we call it deploy okay. in blockchain. You create a smart contract, and then at some point you deploy it okay. for people to use. Okay. And the place, the time you have it audited, audit it is before you deploy it. Okay. And then you fix issues. If there were issues found by the auditor, you address those, and before you, de- and then you have it re-audited before you deploy it. Okay. All right. Well, that is so very interesting. So as a user. You should be careful to only interact with smart contracts that have this, this kind of representation, that has this kind of, you know, have these good, reputable audits. But of course, you know, the other thing for users is that they may not even have that knowledge, right? And and this is where... Well, now you're getting into, yeah, something like, I as an individual can't just go out and say, I want to create a smart contract. I'm like, hey, Joe, I want us to agree to sell each other. You're going to sell me this. I'm going to buy it. I want this to be a smart contract. That's a bad example because I know it's like, well, why would you make that a smart contract? But, I mean, it's not like your customers are individual, even individual wealthy people, right? They're companies or... Well, they may be both. But this is where, like, again, even what we've said so far, it's, it's hard for individuals to know or keep track. Right. And this is where this is where the financial institutions come back in. This is why I don't think banks will go away, fidelity won't go away, because individuals are still going to rely on financial institutions to tell them what's safe and what isn't. Right. And we've, you've probably heard of exchanges so you've probably heard of Coinbase. Yes. You may have heard of Gemini, which is run by the Winklevoss twins, who are well known for their participation in uh, Facebook or their their affiliation with yes. Facebook. And then you may have heard of FTX. Uh, we've all heard of FTX. And, but what? That's right. And these exchanges are basically intermediaries that humans can rely on where the exchange itself kind of goes and figures out what's safe and what isn't safe and then makes that available to common individuals who may be, by the way, high net worth individuals or maybe companies. Um, Fidelity has been getting into that. And, you know, what we've seen is that those, those organizations they can be fraudulent. They can be not trusted. And this is where SBF, you know, basically... represents SBF? SBF, Sam oh. Bankman-Fried. Oh, okay. sorry. <laughs> you know, he, 
he ran an exchange that claimed to be providing safety for people and safe information, and it turns out they themselves had fraudulent business practices right. that put users at risk. And so, um, so the whole, you know, the the exchanges and the trusted intermediaries will probably still exist for people because individuals themselves don't have time to go read audit reports and understand all this. Yet. Right. And that's where and that's where these institutions come in. But you know, I think increasingly as as regulation gets clearer, we'll we'll see traditional financial institutions like Fidelity get into this market as and well. And Bank of America, Truist, Wells Fargo, regular commercial banks. We're already seeing Visa um, is already starting to do it. So I'm yes. talking about traditional banks, not yes. not credit card companies and, you know. I, I think all of them will. Yeah, okay. all of them will. All and, right. And so, so we're going to see increased use and and it will come back to, you know, that there's these smart contracts and there's audits and that's how we build security. And not to take us too deep down a rabbit hole, and there might not even be a hole based off of what I'm going to say, but this will conclude um, part three, is have you heard anything about, oh, are you saying it's part two? Part two, part three. I'll edit that out. Um, is AI can get involved in this in any way. Oh well, AI. We're all talk we're all talking about AI. Um I think that Because then if it does, are the computers gonna take over our financial systems and rule the world. That's where I'm going. Well th there is a funny thing that people have talked about that if we continue to digitize all of our money and transactions mm -hmm. that we're putting ourselves in more danger that an AI may get access to money and be able to take over the financial system. Right. Um, some good sci-fi books have been written about these fears. Oh. Um, I, I, off the top of your head? I, gosh, I can't remember. I did read one, and I can't remember the author of the name. Older. They, they've been around a while. I, I mean, mean, this is not... Were they written pre, you know? Well, uh, there is a book. Uh, well, so one of my favorite sci-fi offers is William Gibson, and his last book is called Agency. Mm -hmm. And it's about an AI that basically, it, that that kind of uh, gets into some of it, yeah. yeah. Um, but it but there have been some doomsday scenario books. And, yeah, that but that... That isn't specific to blockchain as much as it is just us computerizing oh, everything. Oh, yeah, no, I, yeah. I was just, I'm not saying blockchain is going to cause the problem. I'm yeah. saying, you know, oh, would AI be a factor here even in teaching a computer how to do it to take out as much human, you know, uh, yeah. power well, as possible? Well, we, um, we've already seen in the US stock markets and other you know large stock market stock markets around the world computerized trading has completely changed these markets where it's basically AI based trading is happening all the time gotcha and if we move to 
global markets, which is part of where blockchain may come in, is that the markets become more globalized. We're likely to see AI trading uh, dominating, um, and you know, then there absolutely are dangers sure. related to that. Um, All right. So anyway, yes, we are with with computerizing everything. We are creating many, many dangers. That's for sure. And eventually, where I will be bringing to you kind of the environmental underbelly of not just blockchain, but also AI and the natural resources necessary and used to even just support the blockchain to yes. support AI. And I think that will continue to be a fulcrum of sorts as to... You know, the slightest adjustment could tip something and send something catapulting or rolling in a direction that we really don't want. But first, next part, we will be discussing other uses for the blockchain. Stay tuned.